turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 21, please. There is so much in this wonderful book, I'm not sure we'll ever get through. It's like the millennium. We'll go on and on and on with Christ through that millennium and then on out into eternity forever. The book of Revelation is the wonder book of the entire Bible. Just as there are prophetic books in the Old Testament like Isaiah and Zechariah and uh, others, the one prophetic book in the New Testament is Revelation. And it means the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the revealing. It is not a closed book, it is not a hidden book, it's an open book. And we're invited to read it and there's even a special blessing to those who read it and heed it. It doesn't say we'll understand everything in it. We can understand a lot of things, but as we study it, remember that we study it from a particular perspective. You may see it a little bit different because we are priests before God and the Holy Spirit can speak to every one of our hearts. But as we tried to study this scripture, We'll notice the outline is in chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things which you have seen. That was the vision of the glorified Christ. Write the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, the church age. The last of those churches is the Laodicean church, neither hot nor cold. And God said, that makes me sick. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And then the third point, write the things which are yet to come. Beginning in chapter 4, John hears a voice saying, Come up here and I'll show you the things that are to come. And he's transported into heaven. First thing he sees is the throne of God and the candlesticks. And he hears the voice of Jesus. And he hears all the songs they sing in heaven. Five great songs. We've looked at that in the past weeks. Then he's transported back to earth and he sees a panoramic view of all the things that are yet to come, beginning in chapter 6. The four horsemen of the apocalypse and then the tragedy of the souls under the altar who have been killed for the word of God and they cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? And then we see the angel stand on the land of the sea and cries with his hand raised to heaven that time is no longer to be, which means there's no longer delay. God's judgment is coming. And then we see the unfolding of God's judgment in the earth, a world that has said no to God, that has rejected its Savior, goes through terrible cataclysmic events. This is during the rule of the Antichrist. Back in chapter 4, verse 1, we understand that to mean the rapture, when the church is taken out. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God.
The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. The first thing that takes place there is the judgment seat of Christ. We'll come back to that in a moment. The second thing is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll come back to that. But then, after that, we see the tragedy of the tribulation on earth when the Antichrist rules and there are, are wars and rumors of wars and finally all the nations of the earth are gathered around Jerusalem to battle. And in Zechariah 14, Scripture says, in that day his feet shall be planted on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will be divided into, in, in the cleft in the midst and Israel will find a hiding place because all the nations will be against Israel. Do you see some relationship to the times in which we live? When all the nations of the world are against Israel? You read in the paper day by day about the attacks on Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and Haifa and the suicide bombers. And so many times our press blames Israel. And they talk about how awful the Jews are treating the Palestinians. In my judgment, that is from a prejudice standpoint. The Jews are the ones that are in trouble. Of course the Palestinians, we love them. Arabs are precious in his sight. And there are many Christian Arabs. There may be more Christian Arabs than there are Christian Jews. I don't know. We help support missionaries to the Jews. Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse was one of the early Southern Baptists who ministered to the Jews. His ministry was from the Middletown the office of Kentucky Baptist Convention. Later, uh, this convention decided not to try to reach the Jews any longer. And uh, Brother Jacob, Jacob Gardenhouse continued his ministry through private gifts. That ministry continues today with missionaries serving in Israel, trying to win the lost to Christ. So many times when some preacher mentions that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, the world gets its back up and the press criticizes and says you Christians act like you're the only ones going to heaven. <laughs> the interesting thing is that's true. And they don't understand that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes to the Father but by me. You can't get to God through Buddha. You can't get to God through Confucius or through the psychics or through Allah. You get to God through Jesus only. Well, we come to Revelation 21, the judgment of uh, the great white throne it has taken place. And now in Revelation 21, we've studied a little bit of this before, but let's look for a moment, beginning in verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the uh, seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now you remember who the Lamb is. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, 
that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is Jesus. Isaiah said he was led as a lamb before her shares, so he opened not his mouth. When Jesus went to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown of thorns, red were his wounds and deep. Those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus comes to Bowling Green, we simply pass him by. We wouldn't hurt a hair of him, we just let him die. For men have grown more tender, they would not give him pain. They just pass down the street and leave him in the rain. There's no neutral ground at Calvary. You either trust Christ and love him or you reject him. We have a lot of rejectors today, but those who love Jesus, and we sang that while ago, oh, how I love Jesus. Those who love him, those who trust him, those who follow him, they're his bride. Now that's a strange figure. In the Old Testament, Israel was said to have been the bride, but Israel divorced God. And Israel rejected the Son of God. And at Calvary they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. I want to tell you, don't cooperate with those who hate the Jews, love the Jews. Sometimes we've had Jews listen to our radio broadcasts. I want to convey to them that Glendale Baptist Church loves Jews. Our Savior was a Jew. But you cannot ignore what they said as a nation that day. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And as heartbreaking as it is, that's happened all these years. Jews have had a tough, tough time. The Romans hated them. The Turks hated them. Mohammed hated them. The whole Muslim world dislikes the Jews. And today, little Israel is surrounded by thousands, maybe millions of Arabs in the Muslim world. They don't want to coexist with Israel. They want to get rid of Israel. Well, who will be part of the bride of Christ? We read in one of the epistles that uh, it is God's plan that his bride be without spot or wrinkle. Now remember, in this scripture we're told about the garments that the bride will wear. In Ephesians 5, we read about the garments. In custom in the Roman world, there were two garments, the tunic, which was the inner garment, and the toga, which was the outer garment. Now the inner garment of the bride of Christ is justification by faith. We're justified before God that is made just as if we had never sinned. 
and that's the garment. You remember Jesus told the story of a wedding? He said somebody came to the wedding without a wedding garment on. And the Lord of that supper said, what are you doing here without a wedding garment on? Which was a symbol of the great supper of the Lord, the banquet that is called the supper of the Lord. But you have to have on the wedding garment. And the wedding garment consists of two pieces of equipment. Number one, the outward garment, which is the tunic, justification by faith. That's the inner garment, justification by faith. We are justified before God, that is made just as if we had never sinned before God by the blood of Jesus. Friend, nobody else will be at that supper. You won't be part of the bride of Christ if you've not been justified by the blood. You say, well, how do I get that? It's not some piece of clothes you go put on and make yourself look nice. I believe people when they come to church ought to look the best they can. The best you can, you've got is a pair of blue jeans all patched up, wear them. If you've got something better, wear that. Well, to appear before the Lord. Remember we come to church, we present ourselves to the Lord. We don't just come for fellowship, we come to present ourselves to God. I don't think we'd go to the White House state dinner at the state room in the White House wearing some old poor cast off clothes unless that's all we had. And so when we present ourselves before the Lord, we need to look the best we can. But all the best we can do is not good enough for that inner garment. The inner garment has to do with a justification that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved any other way. We are justified by His grace. We're not justified because we're good or because we turn over a new leaf, or because we leave some things off or add some things to us, we're justified by faith in Christ. That's the first garment. The second garment, and this is very interesting, it has to do with that bride without spot or wrinkle. The second garment is the toga, the outer garment, the weaving of our works. We're making ourselves ready to appear before the Lord. You say, it doesn't make any difference how you live. It doesn't make any difference what you do. Just so you're saved on the inside. Well, you'll get to heaven that way, but 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of a saved so as by fire. And so we want to add to our faith, virtue and wisdom and knowledge and all those things that are mentioned in Peter and add to those things, make our lives beautiful before God because we're going someplace. We're going to a wedding one day and the wedding is the marriage supper of the Lamb and we'll be with Him forever and forever. The inner garment, justification. We're saved by grace through faith. But the outer garment is what we're going to be examined about. What did we do with what we had? What do we do with our voice? What do we do with our talents? What do we do with our time? What do we do with our money? What do we do with these things? These are the outer garment. And when we get to that marriage supper of the Lamb, we need to be clothed in His righteousness, justification by faith, and then made beautiful by the works that we do. Amen. 
You mean you're saved by works? A thousand times no. But we're made presentable before the Lord by what we do in Jesus' name. This does away with the old idea that you can get saved and live like the devil and still be okay. That's not true. No Baptist that I know about believes that. The Bible doesn't teach that. When you're saved by grace through faith, as Brother Lloyd sang a moment ago, we'll tell the story over there. That will change our attitude about what we do. And our actions will reveal what's inside. I love thee, I love thee, I love thee, my Lord. But how much I love thee, my actions will show. And those actions relate to what do we do with the gifts God has given us, the talents God has given us, the abilities God has given us. What do we do with it all? Just throw it away, waste it away? What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our talents? What are we doing with our life? He said, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. In a little while, he shows us the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God has prepared something beautiful for us, but heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. We have to be prepared. So the question tonight is, are you part of the bride? Do you know for sure you're God's child by faith? Do you have on that inner garment of his righteousness? Has he changed your mind, your heart, your life, your destiny? If he has, praise God. If he hasn't, why not tonight? Just let Jesus come in. Ask him to come in. Invite him. He's been knocking at the door. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to him and sup with him and he with me. He wants to come in. If he's in our lives, listen, if he's in our lives, what are we doing for him? Or what are we allowing him to do through us? Really, that's a better question. You know, we don't really do much for him, but he can do a whole lot through us through a yielded instrument. You take a pair of gloves. I don't have a pair with me, but just suppose you had a pair of gloves right here and you just flop them around here. What do they do for you? They don't do a thing for you, but you put them on and you can do a whole lot through those gloves. Let's become gloves for the Lord. We are His feet. We're His hand. We're His tongue. We're His voice. We're His person. And the Lord begins to operate through us. And in doing that, He makes our lives beautiful. There used to be a song, Make My Life Beautiful, Beautiful for Thee. The only way that can be true is for us to yield all there is of us to Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these truths from the Bible. We thank you that we are your bride. We pray that we will honor you, that we will prepare ourselves for that wonderful day one day when we'll be at home with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What are we going to sing? 161, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling calling for you and for me. Now you do what God tells you to do. Probably you can settle this right in your place where you stand. I'd like to ask every one of us, 
to say, Lord, help me to be the best bride that I can be. Men and women both, we're going to be his bride. That has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with his being our Lord and we're being his subjects. So would you ask God, Lord, show me any area in my life that is not really worthy of the Lordship of Christ. And if you're here and you're not sure you're saved, come to Christ tonight. While we sing, while we pray, will you do that?